This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. It's been a year since American troops withdrew from Afghanistan. Since then, the country has seen famine, earthquake, and the widespread erosion of women's rights. We cannot give up on those that were left behind. But the US remains active in the region. Last month, Joe Biden announced the death of the Al-Qaeda leader Ayman al-Zawahiri, killed by US drone strike. I understand that uh, it's largely a diplomatic mission, but let's not kid ourselves. If we have to go after terrorists in Afghanistan, it will be a military mission as well. So what does a former U.S. Defense Secretary think of the Afghan withdrawal one year on? And what does he think the future holds for Joe Biden and the Democrats? In this week's podcast, a special interview with Leon Panetta. I'm Jonathan Friedland, and this is Politics Weekly America. There should have been better planning, and it did result in a chaotic uh, withdrawal that I think not only was depressing in terms of its impact on Afghanistan itself and everything we had fought for in Afghanistan, but also sent a terrible message to the rest of the world that we had not properly planned for that withdrawal. Leon Panetta served Barack Obama as Secretary of Defense from 2011 to 2013. He's a former head of the CIA, a former White House Chief of Staff to Bill Clinton, and a former Democratic member of Congress. First of all, just to ask you to sort of cast your mind back a decade or so when you were in the top job at the Pentagon, and to ask you to what extent, because it's a year on that we're talking now since the Afghan withdrawal, was Afghanistan the big one, the issue that kept you up at night? At the time when I first uh, became director of the CIA, our primary focus was on uh, obviously going after al-Qaeda, and uh, in particular going after, uh, uh, obviously, bin Laden and those involved in the 9-11 attack, and also going after al-Qaeda in Iraq, uh, but also more intensely focused on going after al-Qaeda leadership, particularly in the tribal areas of Pakistan. Those were the primary focuses that uh, I was involved in as director of the CIA. And then when you were in the job at Defense... I'm presuming it was at least on your mental intray a lot of the time. Yeah, at the Defense Department, we were making plans to begin withdrawing from Iraq and at the same time focusing on the effort uh, in Afghanistan to try to determine uh, what would be the most effective approach at trying to deal with the uh, challenge, not only from uh, terrorism and al-Qaeda, but also from the Taliban. Given that you'd had that experience, you're in a small group of people who've had those responsibilities. What was it like for you watching a year ago now the fall of Kabul and those very shocking images of people clinging onto the sides of aeroplanes as they were leaving the capital? 
just as a person, what was it like for you to to see that, given the responsibility you had once held? Well, I, like most Americans, were deeply impacted by uh, the 9-11 attack. There were, I think, two primary missions that came out of the 9-11 attack. One mission was to go after those that were involved in planning that attack. Bin Laden and the other al-Qaeda leaders uh, were in Afghanistan and had moved from Afghanistan to the tribal areas in Pakistan. And I think we were successful in doing that and really completed that mission to a large extent by not only getting bin Laden, but also going after their top leadership and making it very difficult for them to plan any additional attack against the United States. I think that was a successful mission. The other mission that we had was to prevent Afghanistan from becoming, again, a safe haven for terrorism. Afghanistan under the Taliban had provided a safe haven for bin Laden and others to plan the attack on 9-11. And unfortunately, that is a mission that had failed. And I think watching Afghanistan, it was difficult because I had been involved in deploying people into Afghanistan to make sure that that would never happen. And unfortunately, it did. And so the sight of Americans leaving in a fairly chaotic fashion, sort of scrambling in the way they did. We can't just say to hell with uh, Afghanistan at this point, because the fact is we can leave a, a battlefield of the war on terrorism. But frankly, we cannot leave the war on terrorism. We still face terrorists around the world, whether it's Al-Qaeda, whether it's ISIS, whether it's Boko Haram, whether it's Al-Shabaab, and we're going to have to deal with them. What feelings did that induce in you? I'm wondering whether that you were on some level, putting it strongly, even ashamed of that. I was deeply concerned that, you know, regardless of uh, the decision itself, as to whether or not we should remove ourselves from Afghanistan. And that's a decision that is obviously a difficult call, and and I can understand why he felt that it was important to move in that direction. But what offended me was the fact that the contingencies, the possibilities that we could very well see a total collapse of the Afghan government and a total collapse within Afghanistan itself and the ultimate chaos that resulted My sense is that all of those contingencies should have been planned for because it was obvious that things were moving quickly, that uh, Afghanistan was collapsing a lot faster than anybody anticipated. There should have been better planning for the contingency of potential chaos. And obviously, for whatever reason, that did not happen. And it did result in a chaotic uh, withdrawal that I think not only was depressing in terms of its impact on Afghanistan itself and everything we had fought for in Afghanistan, but also sent a terrible message to the rest of the world that we had not properly planned for that withdrawal. You're a former head of the CIA. Do you think some of the blame, in fact, lies with your former colleagues in intelligence for not seeing that Kabul would fall and fall so rapidly? I don't think there's any question that intelligence uh, being provided indicated that it would take months for the Taliban to ultimately control Kabul and uh, the rest of Afghanistan, and that there was uh, sufficient time to be able to uh, allow for a more orderly withdrawal. I understand the reasons uh, that they were looking at. They thought that the Afghan government had a little more stability 
uh, that everything we had invested in Afghanistan would in the very least provide for additional time to allow for the necessary planning that would have to take place. But again, the responsibility here is to look at every possible contingency. And once President Trump had made the decision to withdraw forces and had essentially given the Taliban what they wanted, and the Taliban from that moment that the deal was cut started moving quickly through areas in Afghanistan, and we saw that uh, there were units in the Afghan army and uh, security that were beginning to fall apart, there should have been presented the option of a total collapse that could occur. And what would be our approach if, in fact, there were a more rapid collapse within Afghanistan? And unfortunately, for whatever reason, either that option was developed and not implemented or the option itself wasn't developed. I don't know the answer to that, but it's clear that there was a failure to anticipate what actually happened. You mentioned the decision made by the previous administration, the Trump administration, to do the withdrawal at all. You've obviously spoken about the way it was handled, the failure to plan for all contingencies. But at bottom, is your objection also to the very fact of the withdrawal? And had you been advising President Biden, regardless of the means of doing it, would you have said, no, even though Trump did this deal, this is a bad idea, America should stay in and not withdraw? I don't think there's any question in my mind that President Biden could have made his own decision as to what should happen. So did he make the wrong call, do you think? You know, I don't think that he was necessarily tied to whatever Trump had worked out with the Taliban. Trump had no appreciation for what the Obama administration had done on various treaties and various proposals and basically cast them aside. I think President Biden had his own administration and uh, could develop his own approach as to what was uh, necessary. President Biden was put in a difficult position because uh, once the agreement had been made with the Taliban and once they began to move, it became an even tougher task to try to hold on, to try to develop a strategy that would allow Afghanistan to be able to survive some forces there to make sure that uh, we could bolster what was left in Afghanistan uh, with the government and the army would have probably been more helpful in terms of giving us additional time using uh, the air bases that were there, uh, using the other facilities that were there. It wasn't necessary to meet the timetable that President Trump had set. It should have been a timetable that President Biden established uh, that made sense in terms of protecting our forces protecting those Afghans that had worked for us uh, and uh, trying to provide an orderly approach to withdrawal. I mean, on that, just as a layperson watching from the outside, it did seem so strange, the sequencing of things. Surely it would have been much better to have got all the civilians and local Afghans who'd helped the military out first and only then take out the troops. And yet it seemed to be the other way around. Forgive me if I'm being just too elementary about this, but even on that level, it just seemed to have been very poorly conceived. Couldn't it be the case that the president made as basic a mistake as that? There was uh, a reliance on the fact that this would take more time, you know, whether it was intelligence or whether it was uh, those that were involved there who thought that uh, it would not collapse as quickly as it did, presented a false assumption that people depended on. 
the sequencing was on the basis of a, in a way, a flawed premise. I want to ask you about one thing, which I think accounts for partly why people took a dim view of this. And that was some of the, almost what seemed to be the president's attitude. We gave them every chance to determine their own future. We could not provide them was the will to fight for that future. Our mission in Afghanistan was never supposed to have been nation building. It was never supposed to be creating a unified, centralized democracy. Our only vital national interest in Afghanistan remains today what it has always been, preventing a terrorist attack on America's homeland. And then seeming quite dismissive of some of the concerns that people expressed about the fate of women left behind, of basic human rights in Afghanistan. Um, Since then, some 98% of Afghans are said to be affected by and suffering in famine. There's this now quite notorious line from the former diplomat Richard Holbrook, who is said to have recorded in his diary that he once put some of these social concerns to Joe Biden talking about, for example, you know, how many girls were enrolled in school. And and Joe Biden responded in very robust language, forgive me for using the language, but according to Richard Holbrook said, fuck that, we don't have to worry about that. Is it a concern, do you think, that Joe Biden has seemed to take a, a fairly dismissive view of that? From my experience, uh, it was clear that Joe Biden always had a lot of concerns about uh, the situation in Afghanistan and uh, felt that it was not achieving the goals that we had hoped would be achieved. Uh, There was an effort to increase our military presence there that Vice President Biden was uh, opposed to. But he did support what we were doing at the CIA in going after al-Qaeda and thought that we had developed a successful counterterrorism approach, and that that ought to be the primary approach that we ought to take in trying to go after al-Qaeda and not worry that much about the Taliban. He always had concerns about uh, the situation there. And I think when he became president, I think he made the decision at that point that uh, ultimately we would withdraw our forces from Afghanistan. Uh, And that was his primary focus. And I think he thought that America was tired. This had been a long war, that it was exhausted, that we were not going to be able to achieve the mission there, and that it would be better for us uh, to simply withdraw as quickly as we can. And I think his mindset then, basically, with regards to all of these other issues in Afghanistan, whether it was women's rights, whether it was education, trying to protect those who had worked with us and supported us these other issues that were important that, you know, we had fought for for a long time in Afghanistan, uh, I think his primary focus was on how quickly can we remove the forces and get out of there. That was his primary focus. It was really important at that point for him to take the time to sit down both with our military and State Department officials and say, what is the plan here in order to proceed with this withdrawal? And at that point, ask the question, what if there is a total collapse? How do we deal with that situation in a way that tries to protect the people that we're trying to remove from Afghanistan? I don't know if there was ever that kind of session or that kind of question, but I think it should have been done in order to try to prepare better. Joe Biden's opinion poll ratings are famously low. To what extent do you think this, the withdrawal from Afghanistan, is part of the explanation of that. Do American voters still, as it were, hold it against Joe Biden? Did it damage his standing almost irreparably? 
Well, at the time that it happened, uh, I made the comparison to what happened with President Kennedy and the Bay of Pigs. This moment is what for Joe Biden, President Biden? I think of John Kennedy and the Bay of Pigs. Uh, uh, you know, it, it, it unfolded quickly and uh, uh, the president thought that everything would be fine. And uh, that was not the case. But President Kennedy took responsibility for what took place. And I, I, I strongly recommend to President Biden that he take responsibility, admit the mistakes that were made. It gave the president, uh, President Kennedy, the opportunity then to really focus uh, on the missile crisis in Russia and really develop a very strong and forceful foreign policy that protected our national security. And in many ways, that's what Kennedy is remembered for. And I think to a large extent, the same thing could happen with Joe Biden. I do think he probably should have taken more responsibility for the mistakes that were made. But having now moved to pull together the NATO alliance uh, and uh, confront Putin, provide the help that Ukraine needs in order to stop Putin, I think that has been a successful approach to foreign policy. So I think when history looks back on the Biden administration, yes, they will say uh, this was a, a mistake in the way it was handled. It was a situation that damaged the president in terms of his uh, foreign policy and relationship with others, but that the president then came back and reasserted America's leadership uh, when faced with the uh, crisis in Ukraine. So I think history will reflect that balance. That's interesting. So let's talk about that other side of the ledger in the positive column would be the removal, the killing of Ayman al-Zawahiri, al-Qaeda number one target. To what extent do you think that offsets the humiliation of the withdrawal, the fact that this high value target, to use the jargon, is there as a, in some ways, a kind of trophy for Joe Biden? It's pretty clear that the Haqqanis, uh, who took uh, leadership positions uh, with the Taliban, were clearly providing that kind of safe haven. To have had uh, Zawahiri living in downtown Kabul, it's pretty obvious that they were allowing them to basically be able to operate pretty freely in Afghanistan. The response uh, initially that President Biden made was that we'll continue to monitor that situation and, if necessary, go after targets uh, from beyond the horizon, I believe is, uh, it was termed. We won't allow those threats to impact on the United States. Going after Zawahiri did prove that uh, we do have the intelligence capability to locate terrorists, and we do have the operational capability to be able to go after those targets. I mean, to use our drone capability to target uh, Zawahiri on a balcony uh, with a minimum, actually no uh, damage uh, to other civilians uh, that were there was a very effective mission. So I do think that the president made clear that the United States has the capability to go after al-Qaeda and those targets if necessary in Afghanistan. And that's important. Having said that, I do believe that we have to be concerned about what the Taliban is doing with regards not only to al-Qaeda, but other terrorists like ISIS and others and whether or not uh, we are going to have to continue to be vigilant about uh, having to protect ourselves from terrorism that originates out of Afghanistan. I think this is going to be a challenge for the future. 
you mentioned before Ukraine, there is still ongoing attempts to revive the Iran nuclear deal. Taking it all together, and obviously it's still relatively early, it's not even the halfway mark in the Biden presidency, but would you say that overall, and you mentioned how history will look on this, that he's emerging as a fairly effective foreign policy president? Or given the debacle of a year ago, is there more minus than plus in the ledger? When he became president, he made clear that uh, the United States would be back in terms of providing world leadership and working with our allies. What happened in Afghanistan did hurt that goal. And uh, I think our allies were raising questions about whether or not he could, in fact, reestablish the United States as a credible world leader. I think since then, he has, in fact, by virtue of working with uh, our allies and uh, working with NATO and building a unified front to support Ukraine and confront uh, Putin, and I do think some of his other efforts to try to build alliances uh, in the Pacific to deal with China, to strengthen our alliances in the Middle East, to confront Iran, I do believe that he is exercising the kind of world leadership that the United States must exercise in a very dangerous world. Look, we're dealing with a lot of threats. Uh, It isn't just terrorism, obviously. Uh, We're dealing with Russia. We're dealing with China. We're dealing with Iran. We're dealing with North Korea. We're dealing with cyber. There are a lot of threats that are out there. And there is no other option right now for the United States but to provide world leadership, working with our allies, to be able to confront those threats. I think he has made great progress in moving the United States in that direction. Let me ask you a question about the battle within the United States, if you like. As a former head of the Defense Department, I'm keen to know your view of the revelations by the January the 6th committee into the storming of Capitol Hill on January the 6th, 2021, revealing that as the hours went by, Donald Trump did not authorise the sending in of the National Guard, sending in of the troops, that he let the thing play out. In effect, he was willing to allow a coup to be staged without imposing the military to enforce the Constitution. How worried are you that a future President Trump, because he could run again, or someone like him, could put and would put loyalists into the Pentagon to do the job you did as Defence Secretary so that they would obey him and serve him rather than the Constitution. Did you see something there that troubled you? I don't think there's any question that January 6th was a real wake-up call in terms of the fragility of our democracy. What we saw was a president, President Trump, refusing to accept the results of a free and fair election in this country, refusing to provide the kind of peaceful transition that was required by the Constitution, uh, and in fact inspiring a mob to uh, support his theory that somehow the election was stolen. And his behavior in refusing to deal with that mob, particularly after they attacked, rampaging through the capital of the United States and threatening the lives of the vice president Uh, and the lives of other members there, and and threatening essentially to bring our democracy to a halt. His refusal to deal with that is a frightening moment for the United States because it showed how close we came to seeing our democracy come to an end with that kind of violent insurrection. The idea 
that something like that happened and that another president, uh, whether it's Trump or another president, could in fact put together the same kind of approach that would undermine our democracy. In other words, basically behave as an autocrat, behave as a Putin or as a Xi in approaching what happens here in the United States. That has made the United States of America much more aware of the importance of making sure that we elect leadership that truly is committed to uh, enforcing and securing the constitution of our country. That is going to be critical. If we elect the wrong kind of leadership, it could very well undercut the democracy that we have fought for for over 200 years. Sure. I'm just wondering if it's the military itself that needs to think hard about its duties and responsibilities in a situation like that. If you do have a leader who has a disregard for the constitution, does the military need to be reminded of its duty to protect the constitution in that situation? I know that, for example, you said that when you heard about those wiped texts about communications coming from the White House, that it looked like a conspiracy that those texts traded between the president and officials, their disappearance looked like conspiracy. I'm just wondering if the military now need to no longer rely on the assumption that the politicians will do the right thing. You know, does the National Guard need to be prepared, trained for insurrection? Because this is the reality we're living in. The military leadership did perform well uh, under those circumstances, both the Secretary of Defense, as well as the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff made very clear that their first loyalty is to protecting the Constitution. If they were given an order by President Trump to basically support uh, those that were conducting uh, an insurrection against the United States, that they would have refused to do that. And and in fact, they made clear that when they were used in Lafayette Park to go after uh, protesters, that that was was a terrible mistake uh, and that it shouldn't be repeated. The military leadership needs to be reminded of its first responsibility, which is to protect our Constitution and protect our democracy. That's critical because you're right. There's no question that if a future leader really does decide to go after the military and make them part of an effort to take over the government, that that would be the worst result that could ultimately happen. And frankly, if if that did happen, it would be very difficult to prevent an insurrection from not occurring in this country. So it is it is critical that A, military leadership make clear its loyalty to the Constitution, and more importantly, that the leadership we elect when they swear to protect, preserve, and defend the Constitution of the United States, that that's exactly what they do. We always ask our guests on this podcast a what else question, something different. You are a Democrat. You were elected as a Democratic politician. You stood for election uh, for the House of Representatives. Using your sense of those things, your gut, what is that telling you about how Democrats are doing now? What's your feeling about how November, the midterm elections, is going to play out? Based on my experience in politics over more than 50 years, the one thing I learned is never to assume that ultimately something will happen that uh, everybody says uh, is likely to occur. Politics in the United States of America is a day-to-day thing. 
There are issues that develop. There are crises that occur that change the formula, change the chemistry in a particular election. You know, a few months ago, it was pretty clear uh, at that point that uh, there would be a Republican wave in this election and that they could very well not only take over the House, but take over the Senate. I think that's changed. A combination of uh, the legislative wins that uh, the president has been able to achieve with the reaction to a Supreme Court decision on Roe v. Wade, the concern about uh, whether or not our freedoms uh, could very well be protected, impacted by the economy and what's happening with inflation. There are different ingredients that are at play right now that seem to indicate that the Democrats might very well hold their own uh, in the midterm election. I think that could change in the next uh, 30 days, depending on what happens, not just in this country, but what happens in the world. I think the most important thing the Democrats need to do is to make clear you know, what they've been able to achieve, what their goals are, what their vision is for the country. And very frankly, I think the Republicans have the greater challenge of trying to figure out just exactly what their vision is for the country. We know that Trump doesn't believe uh, the election was, was real and that uh, somehow he was robbed of the election. He doesn't support the basic laws in this country. At the same time, there's a Republican establishment that's trying to get the Republicans back to uh, focusing on issues. There's an interesting dynamic taking place in the United States right now in which ultimately the American people, as always in our democracy, are going to have to make a decision. What kind of direction do they want to take? Do they want to take a direction that is in line with our Constitution and with making our country better for everyone in the future? Or do they want to walk backwards uh, and try to undermine that Constitution and our democracy? That's a pretty fundamental choice that's going to be facing the American people in November. Leon Panetta, former Secretary of Defense and head of the CIA, thanks so much for joining me on Politics Weekly America. Thank you. And that's all from us for this week. With just over a couple of months to go before those all-important midterm elections, I want to hear from you. Is there a race, a contest you want to know more about? A candidate who's caught your eye? Or something completely different happening across America that you'd like to know more about? Send me your questions. You can email them to podcasts at theguardian.com. Or you can find me on Twitter. My handle there is at Friedland. But for now, it's goodbye. The producer was Jelena Sofronievich and the executive producer, Max Sanderson. I'm Jonathan Friedland. Thanks, as always, for listening. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.